Thinking in Dark Times is a podcast series by Ukraine World. In this episode, I speak to Alexandra Matvichuk about her noble lecture, the need to bring back focus on human rights worldwide and the need to ensure justice for the victims of war. Alexandra Matvichuk is a Ukrainian human rights defender and the head of the Center for Civil Liberties, a Ukrainian NGO which was awarded the 2022 Nobel Peace Prize. My name is Volodymyr Yermolonko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. Ukraine World is a website in English about Ukraine run by Ukrainians. It is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. The series Thinking in Dark Times aims to make Ukraine and the current war a focal point of our common reflection about the world's present, past and future. We try to see light through and despite the current darkness. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So let's start. Alexandra Matvichuk, welcome to this podcast. Nice to meet you. So I was so impressed when I've heard for the first time that your center, the Center for Civil Liberties, won a Nobel Prize for peace. This is the first Ukrainian Nobel Prize. What does it mean to you? It means a huge responsibility. We received the Nobel Peace Prize during the war. And during the very bloody war, when millions of Ukrainians are suffering from Russian atrocities. So it's a unique opportunity to make the voice of Ukrainian human rights defenders tangible. When was it unexpected? You, did you know about it from news or were you informed uh, beforehand? It was a shock. Uh, I was on my way home from New York. And now, because uh, Russia deliberately targets all civil infrastructure, we have no airport in the country. So my usual way back home is going through Warsaw. So I was going to to train station. And in this moment, I was, was uh, informed that Center for Civil Liberties received the Nobel Peace Prize. And my first... Uh, emotion was a huge surprise because Nobel Peace Prize is something from cosmos, from when you have even never dreamed before. We are human rights defenders, we are not celebrities. We are here in your office in, on the street Baseina, and I remember coming to your office back in 2013 when you set up a, a center, Euromaidan Source, uh, to help people beaten, to help people abducted, to find those people who, uh, who were abducted, who were missing. And this is a huge path that you have done. Uh, what, was, what were the, the most difficult moments on this path? I think we have never, when we established Center for Civil Liberties in 2007, can predict that we will face with so enormous level of human pain. Like during the Revolution of Dignity, when we brought up several thousands of people uh, to provide legal and other assistance to persecuted protesters around the country. And every day, hundreds and hundreds of people who were beaten, 
who were tortured, who were arrested, who were accused and fabricated criminals for administrative charges, pathway care. So it's very difficult uh, to work for years with the human pain. Uh, and this is something which I couldn't predict when we established this organization. You had a fantastic, noble speech, and there are five key points in it. So I, I wanted to uh, to talk about this a little bit because this is a was a very strong message. I think it was a very strong message worldwide, but it was very strong message inside Ukraine. Uh, it was really very well perceived in Ukraine. Uh, so let's focus on these five points. The first is how to bring back significance to human rights. Do you think that, for example, we have all these international institutions who are supposed to work for human rights? Do you think their their work is still insufficient? I think that uh, we all, as a humankind, uh, have problem with um, meaning of human rights. What do I mean? Like, even in well-developed democracies, the populist and radical movements gain weight and the universal principle of universal declaration of human rights are put into doubts. And this is because even in well-developed democracies, in new generations, they are not barrier of human rights and uh, democracy and rule of law. They are consumers of this value. They inherited their values and the systems. And this means that they very often don't understand the real meaning of the things. And that's why they uh, um, uh, have some adaptation to exchange these values for another one, like economical benefits or some illusion of safety or some uh, glory or something else. And this is something which we see for years in uh, political decisions, even <laughs> when we speak about well-developed democracies, because uh, for years the voice of human rights defenders from our region wasn't heard. Maybe we was heard in OSCE human rights dimension meetings or UN human rights committee, but not in the rooms where the political decision were take place. And we, for years, uh, uh, tell that human rights has to be the same solid basis for political decision in external policy, in external policy, as uh, economical benefits or security issues. But we can look to the example of Russia, that it wasn't like this, because Russia for decades prosecute their own civil society, jailed journalists, uh, killed uh, human rights defenders, arrested um, and dispersed uh, peaceful student demonstrations. Parallel Russia conducted war in different countries and uh, committed war crimes in Georgia, in Mali, in Syria, in Libya, in other countries of the world. But well-developed democracies, they continue to shake Putin's hand do business as usual, uh, close their eyes for severe human rights violations, build pipelines, etc. 
So the problem is that if we don't understand the meaning of human rights as a value of Western civilization, and if we forget about this meaning, we will reach the point when country who um, systematically violates human rights obligation becomes threat not only to their own citizens, but to the whole world. And Russia is not only one example. Look to the China. When you look at Ukraine, do you think that Ukrainians have made a progress in the way how our country, our society looks at human rights? Or it's just an illusion? And uh, the things that are going on still in our prosecution system, in our law enforcement system, are, are still quite bad and, you know, a heritage of the, of the Soviet times. We are on the right path, which was underlined by Revolution of Dignity, because eight years ago, when millions of Ukrainians stood up their voice against authoritarian and corrupt uh, previous uh, Yanukovych uh, uh, president uh, system, um, people are fighting not just to become a member of EU, because if you ask ordinary people on the street, they don't know what EU is, how it's functioning, what is architecture, but they have impression that EU is a sp specific civilized dimension. So they are fighting for a chance uh, to build a country where the rights of everybody are protected, government is accountable, judiciary is independent, and police serve people and don't beat students who are peacefully demonstrating and they paid high price for it like hundreds of protesters who were unarmed were killed by police uh, uh, in the center of the Kiev and then we obtain a chance for a quick democratic transformation and in order to stop us on this way Russia started this war this war started not in February 2022, but in February 2014, when Russia occupied Crimea and part of Lugansk and Donetsk regions. And all these eight years, we have two difficult, controversial tasks. First, uh, to defend our country, to defend our sovereignty, to defend our democratic choice and to defend our people from Russian aggression. But parallel, we have to go to this path uh, to make reforms in different fields. And this is a very task, difficult task to combine to these goals, but we have no luxury to concentrate only on one of them. And I remember that in uh, several years ago, Chatman House made a solid report with an analysis of all reforms which was made. And I like their analysis and their conclusion. They told that for these several years after Revolution of Dignity, Ukraine made so much positive changes in different fields that more than decades before, but uh, still there are a lot of things uh, to be done. And uh, this reform has to be uh, reach the non-return point. This is the issue. So one, to, to conclude, we are on the right way. We have positive changes, but still we have to uh, do a lot of homework and we have no, no luxury uh, to stop this democratic transformation during the war. 
because victory for Ukraine is not just to repeal Putin troops from Ukraine and the occupy all territories, including Crimea. Victory for Ukraine is to succeed in democratic transition. Your second call in this speech is to call things by their names. And when you're saying this, do you mean that, for example, when we're talking about Russia uh, and this war, we should call it a war, we should call it maybe genocide, we should call it war crimes and not something else? Or what else do you mean? When we speak about this war, this war has a genocidal character. I'm a human rights lawyer and I know that genocide is a very serious international crimes and have very high standards to be proved in a competitive independent uh, international court and um, still there are a lot of uh, expert discussion whether or not we have enough uh, evidence but when i look to situation i see this genocidal intent i see it in the public rhetorics of the putin and his surrounding uh, who uh, try to state that Ukrainian nation uh, has no right to exist, there is no Ukrainian state, there is no Ukrainian language, there is no Ukrainian culture. And also I see the clear impact of this uh, genocidal intent, like a policy of erosion of Ukrainian identity in occupied territories. And here we have a lot of... Uh, things to compare because some territories under Russian occupation for eight years. So it's very visible how Russia erodes Ukrainian identity. And even from the basic lo logic, if you want totally or partially to destroy some and liquidate some ethnic group, um, you don't obligatory need to kill them all. You can change their identity and you will succeed. The whole ethnic group will disappear. But what I want to say that when we like make this uh, expert discussions about this genocide and uh, genocidal intent, I think that we lose very important point because the war is still going on and Russian atrocities going on every day. And we have all signs, dangerous signs, like in Rwanda before, so I'm afraid that if we will not be able to start discussion how to stop Russian atrocities and prevent some worse things to happen, we can reach a point when even the most severe skeptics will have no like, doubt that this is a genocide. Your next point, how to ensure peace worldwide. And uh, the most important, the most difficult thing to talk uh, about this war, I think, for Ukrainians, one of the most difficult things is to say that, look, uh, we need weapons to have peace. We need weapons to to stop this war. And this is something that I, I'm, I, I need to face all the time. Like, if you, if you want peace, let's, let's negotiate with Russia, let's, let's, let's achieve it. But uh, there is a next level of discussion, of course, is how to prevent uh, these dictators from... Uh, Doing, doing such things. And there is discussion on the level of international law that we can make kind of a sanction regimes automatic, we can make not, not subject to political decisions. What, what is your vision on, on this? When the large-scale invasion started, I found myself in a very weird situation. I will explain what do I mean. 
the whole international system is not working. I can tell that it's laid in ruins, like Ukrainian Mariupol. And now it's very visible that we live in a very dangerous world where the member of uh, UN Security Council can start the war of aggression, conduct this war for eight years, then start large-scale large invasion, commit horrible, horrible atrocities, and there is no legal instrument how to stop it. When Secretary General of UN came to Kiev to meet with President Zelensky, in that same day, the Russian rocket hit residential buildings and killed in, the, in flat our colleague, journalist Vera Gerich, in the same day when Secretary General of UN was there. So it's like a good illustration of the world in which we live for current moment. And in this world, I and other Ukrainian human rights defenders have no legal instrument how to stop Russian atrocities. And that's why what the, this uh, weird what, uh, situation that when I was asked regularly during all these 10 months how to prevent Russian atrocities in occupied territories, how to stop them, I had to answer, provide Ukraine with weapons. And this is something which you not expected from human rights lawyer. But this is true. The law doesn't work. Still, uh, I believe that it's temporarily, that we will fix it. And in order to do it, we need to start a cardinal reform of the whole international system of peace and security to provide security and human rights guarantee to all people, not, not speaking only about Ukrainians, but to the all people in different countries, uh, regardless whether or not they live in countries with a huge military potential, so belong to some economic or military blocks and what their economic growth rate is. So it's a very hard and important task which needs historical responsibility and a little bit courage of political leaders around the globe. And this has to be started with a very small but significant step to exclude Russia from UN Security Council for severe violation of UN chapter. Your next point is, um, it seems to me, one of the most important, and I would like to uh, focus on this, is how to ensure justice to victims of war. And uh, you're talking about the need to have an international tribunal for Putin's regime, for all those people involved into, into this aggression, into this genocidal war. Do you see progress to this goal? Do you see willingness of people to, to set up such a court? I see very slowly uh, movement, uh, understanding that there will not be sustainable peace in our region without justice. Because Russia for decades used war as a tool how to achieve their geopolitical goals, and Russia for decades uses war crimes as the methods how to win this war. Because this pain and suffering is a tool. Russia deliberately provides enormous pain to civilians. They want to break people's resistance and occupy Ukraine to, with this instrument. And all this hell which we now face in Ukraine is a result of total impunity which Russia enjoyed for decades. So 
this impunity become a part of Russian culture. And if we want to achieve sustainable peace, uh, not only for Ukrainians, but for other nations who can be potentially new a target of Russia, we have to break the circle of impunity and establish international tribunal to hold Putin, Lukashenko and other war criminals accountable. Because, look, I can tell about our own experience with the cases which we documented. There is no legitimate military purpose to force people go down to the basement to for them to appoint eight volunteers and no military purpose in shooting these eight civilians. There were no military purpose to have fun firing to people on a bicycle with by the tanks whose bodies lay scattered around the streets until liberation. There was no military purpose to broke someone's house, killed owner, rape a wife and her nine-year-old child. Like there was no military purpose to uh, shoot the 40-year-old boy from the close range who just playing their balls with the balls in the yard. So Russians did these horrible things only because they could. There is no military purpose, no justification for such kind of action. And we faced with the accountability gap when national system is overloaded with an extreme amount of crimes and international criminal court will limit its investigation only to several select cases. So the question is, which I ask myself, for whom do we document all these crimes for? Who will provide a chance for justice for hundreds of thousands of victims of this war who will not be lucky to be selected by international criminal court? I think that as a civilized world we have to change the global approach to war crime justice. Because when war turns people into the numbers, we have to provide legal instrument how to return people their names and how to ensure their human dignity. You're documenting these war crimes. <clears throat> First, how do you do it? What is the procedure? Uh, can you just tell tell us a little bit about this uh, about this process uh, and are there any 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 typology of course it's it's very important to and I agree with you totally it's very important to remember the names of every particular victim and to tell the stories uh, but can we look at a certain typology for example when you're talking about Uh, tanks versus bicycles. I see it very often in the villages that I visit, how Russian tanks just go over civilian cars. Or we know that civilian cars, uh, evacuating civilians shot by Russian soldiers and burned in, 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 many, in many places. Or the, the mines, what, I, what I've seen recently in Kharkiv Oblast, Donetsk Oblast, the, the mines so-called Lipistki, which are thrown everywhere, which make lives for civilians impossible in, in the villages. Do you have si- such a typology? Uh, we uh, united our efforts with dozens of other human rights organizations after 24th of February, because before we document war crimes, but we have uh, our special focus. It was focused on legal practice of uh, abduction, detention, sexual violence, 
uh, torture and killing civilians in occupied territories, as well as um, criminal motivated persecutions of uh, civilians in Crimea and uh, Donetsk and Lugansk regions. But when we faced with enormous amount of crimes, which means that we face with enormous scale of human pain, we understood that we have to create something more solid uh, to be able to respond to this challenge. So we jointly uh, with other human rights organizations established all Ukrainian network of local documentators, which is called Tribunal for Putin Initiative. We have an ambitious goal to document in chronological order each the smallest criminal episodes which was committed in the smallest village in each oblast of Ukraine. And working together, only for the 10 months of Russian large-scale invasion, we documented up to 28,000 episodes of war crimes. And this is an enormous amount. But still is a tip of iceberg. Uh, but this amount provides us opportunity to see some trends, the general picture, what's going on in different regions, and like some patterns. And what I see, uh, to respond to your question about some types, we, we clearly see that Russians use terror against civilians on the occupied territories. Uh, they exterminate active minority, physically exterminate. What I mean, it's active people like local elites, uh, journalists, uh, human rights defenders, mayors, uh, uh, local deputies, uh, religious leaders, artists, some active businessmen, some people who have some reputation and can organize even non-violent uh, resistance. And this, this is something which is not understandable very well uh, in this uh, diplomatic talks about negotiation, uh, because uh, people who sit with a coffee in a suitable chair maybe not always understand that we as Ukrainians, we are fighting not for territories, we are fighting for people who live in these territories. We will never left these people for torture and death. We have no moral rights to do it. Um, so this is like very visible pattern. Also, when we speak about how Russia tried to occupy cities, I also see this very cruel military tactics. Uh, you, we can take Mariupol as an example when Russia don't provide permission for International Committee of Red Cross uh, to evacuate civilians from the city and to provide and to deliver humanitarian aid to the sieged city. And and maybe you can ask but for what? What's what's the purpose? But it's a very clear purpose because when you have uh, civilians with their families and children uh, in the basement for weeks and then for months during winter without food, heating, electricity, water, uh, medical assistance, uh, who's suffering. You couldn't concentrate on your like preliminary task to fight with uh, Russian army. You have to think about hundreds of logistical and other issues, how to save civilians in the city. And 
this was uh, very visible um, because Russia deliberately destroyed residential blocks to the next residential blocks, next residential blocks, all civil infrastructure in the city, hospitals, uh, culture objects, and to turn the life of civilians who, who remain, who can't evacuate from the city into the real horror. I've seen it also in, in, in other places, and uh, like Izum, for example, right? <clears throat> A city on which Russian... Um, Russian bombarded Izum in um, in March, April. I think they entered Izum on first first of April. But uh, the city in which I think there are four hundred something uh, air airstrikes, and you see, of course, if you when you enter the city, everybody is is, is scared. Everybody. So so the, the 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 tactics maybe is also to say, look, I am a big monster. You should be scared of me. Because if we can bomb the civilians, if we can if we can destroy your houses, we can we can easily kill you. But let me ask about this procedure, about the way how you work. Do you work with the Ukrainian law enforcement, or you you work as NGOs by yourselves? And uh, you have, as you ha as you said, over twenty thousand cases. Is it something already being investigated by the uh, by the Ukrainian law enforcement services? How 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 is it going on? Documentation is only first stage of investigation, and uh, we uh, do it in order that sooner or later all Russians who committed these criminal episodes, uh, as well as Putin and other rest political uh, s senior leadership and high military command, will be brought to justice. So we very closely cooperate with national investigative bodies, with International Criminal Court, with the UN International Commission on Inquiry, with OEC Moscow Mechanism, and with other international agencies. Investigation takes time because uh, you need not only to understand what's happened, to build link between cases, to underline the perpetrators, but you have to prepare very solid evidence to convince judges in the competitive uh, court process where the another side will also have defendant, like it's a right for, uh, for another side, even for uh, criminals uh, have a right to, for a defense in competitive uh, criminal proceedings. So no, this is a problem that sometimes... Um, it's also not understandable uh, very often to international community because when they ask me a question, I answer it. Look, uh, some things uh, not uh, is taking place not because Ukrainians don't know that these things has to be done, but because we are lack of qualified working hands. One example, near Irpin, uh, there is a chemistry of civilian car. It's a civilian car which was shot by Russians yeah. when, uh, when uh, the families with children tried to escape from the Kiev region. And what does it mean from legal point of view? You have to examine each car. You, may, you have to make, examine each bullet in this car to make procedures, documents, and go through the car to another car to present in the core some evidence, not only photos. How, how much work in hands 
qualified working hands we need to to be able to do it uh, that's why um we i told that we are grateful for army of international advisors who reach ukraine to advise us and consult us but we need also the assistance to work together like to have a model when national investigators work together with international investigators and national just judges work together with international judges in order to be able to provide a chance for justice for each person i visit from time to time these car cemeteries in bucha irpin every time the number of cars is lesser and lesser and i of course i assume that they're taken somewhere and uh, i don't know where they're taken they're taken to by the police to make the investigation or they're just making taken for to be destroyed utilized i i have one episode that uh, when we recently visited a this car cemetery in bucha a person came to us and he said that he recognized the car of his friend and he even invited us to look <clears throat> into the car and he said there are remnants of bones of this person and we clearly see that of course the car was totally burned down so most probably this man was burnt in this car i'm not sure that it, it's being investigated although it's it's a quite a, a well-known case um but yes I'm, i mean of course documentation is one thing but how 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 do you imagine we set up this international court like there was a court for yugoslavia right and uh, do we need to bring these people to the court or they can do the investig the, the court proceedings in absentia when we know that some of the generals are somewhere and still hiding in russia or do we need to physically take the soldiers take these generals to the court it can be a very flexible modeling. When we speak about international hybrid tribunals, uh, we can examine different experience and take what will be more appropriate for Ukrainian context. But for me, it's uh, very understandable because I worked with people who went through hell. I work with people directly and I know that they want to see this justice. They need to restore not only their broken lives, broken families, broken vision of the future, they need to restore their belief that justice is possible. And this means that justice has to be seen, this has to be not on the hawk or in Geneva or in, in like um, language which these people can't understand. And also it has to be not takes for ages because uh, they, justice has to be deliver uh, in some uh, wisdom terms and i think that we we have uh, to start as a procedure even without now guarantees that we will be able tomorrow to bring perpetrators to just uh, to to the court uh, hearings but the history of humankind convincingly proves that Authoritarian regime collapsed, and their leaders, who see themselves untouchable, appeared under the court. Yeah, that's true. But again, this comes back to the the first thing that uh, we need: we need to win this war. We need weapons to win this war first, to restore justice. 
the, your fifth point is how global solidarity can become our passion. So, do you think we now lack this solidarity? I think that we, especially when uh, the world faced with the COVID pandemic, uh, will reach a turning point how we will deal with global challenges. Or we isolate and try to solve problems by ourselves in competition with each other, or we will unite uh, because global problems need global answers. And I think that way of global solidarity is more effective and it's more human because there are a lot of things which have no limitation in national borders. When I describe the pain of mother who lost their child, it's very understandable for all people around the globe, regardless their citizenship, their religion, their social position, their political view, their ideology, etc., etc. First of all, we are all human beings. And we live in a world which become very quick, very complex, and very interconnected. And in such world, only the spread of idea of freedom make this world safer. So that's why I strongly believe that we are responsible for everything which is going on in the world. That's why in my uh, Nobel uh, Peace uh, lecture, I emphasize not only Ukraine. I mentioned the cases of when people struggling for their human dignity in Iran, uh, in China. Uh, I use the example of Somalia because uh, before in Stockholm I met with a wonderful uh, organization which uh, worked to return children soldiers to the peaceful life and i mentioned this in nobel peace uh, lectures example that because their fight for human dignity is important for our future in this interconnected world do you think that people who spread russian propaganda who incited this war who uh, basically was talking to you know to to the russian population that ukrainians does not do not exist that we need punished we need to punish them we will win the war very quickly do you think that they are also war criminals sure like i'm a lawyer they committed a crime and that's why on the Nuremberg trials and other tribunals propagandists sat near the um, head of military units and uh, political leaders because uh, their inputs was uh, very essential into increasing hate. Um, when we speak about Russian propagandists, uh, I, I want to see them and I will see them in the court trials. I will tell you a story. It, was, it happened several years ago. I interviewed a young woman who survived Russian captivity she she is from Donetsk. She was arrested because uh, she had has uh, pro-Ukrainian uh, views, and um, she was severely beaten. For that moment, she was pregnant, and she begged not to beat her, because she expected for a child. And she was told that you have pro-Ukrainian views. Uh, that's why your child had no right to be born. But then, uh, she was told that okay, we will release you if you tell Russian journalists that you are a sniper of Tornado because they want to make some report. 
on TV. And we found uh, this report then. And what shocked me uh, the most in the story that she told when this so-called Russian journalist arrived and for the first time she was uh, she, she can make shower she take uh, clean clothes and when they saw her and understood that they are preg- she is pregnant uh, they asked uh, her to sit in a post to hide her pregnancy because it's ruined the whole plot that she's a sniper like for me it's very understandable that so-called russian journalism with a few exceptions which prohibited in Russia, it's only a part of military machine. And they work for a military goals. And that's why they have no similar with freedom of speech. This, they have to be prohibited in other countries as well. When, as a lawyer, when you look at the terminology, for example, the legal terminology crime of aggression, crime against humanity, genocide, ecocide, I don't know if, if it, it exists yet. Uh, do you think that these, let's say, future tribunal will, foc- will focus on, on what? On crime of aggression primarily? On war crimes? Crimes against humanity? Or it doesn't matter? Or genocide? Ukrainian authorities promote the idea of creation of special tribunal on aggression. And we support this idea because for current moment there is no international court which can cover this international crime as aggression is. So this is a clear gap and we need to establish something new in order to cover and to punish political and military leadership of Russia for the initiating and planning the war of aggression. But on this tribunal, they will be not the voice of victims. Because crime of aggression is leadership crime. And it's very visible, like everybody see Russian troops in Ukraine. So it's not takes years for investigate this crime. It's, uh, it's easy to prove. That's why we promote the idea to create additional international mechanism like a model when you can bring this international element and put this international element on the level of national investigation and national justice. That's why I speak about model where national judges and international judges work together, like investigators, national work and cooperate together with international investigators. And there are, on expert levels, several concrete mechanisms already presented how it can be work but when i spoke speak with uh, um, political leadership of different countries i think that we are still on the uh, stage to legitimize the idea that it's something that need to be done maybe my last question uh, maybe a bit naive but uh, a bit general what gives you hope today Um, um, it's a good question. I remember that when I uh, r- when I read uh, the memories of Soviet dissident, they told that they have no hope because they f- they have to fight with a whole Soviet machine, and they know that they will be in Hulag uh, camp. They can be tortured. They can be put to psych- psychological forcible treatment. 
and nobody will remember their names, but they wrote in these memories that we have we have to do it because it was about our choice, because we have human dignity, because we have values, uh, because uh, all efforts have sense when you're fighting for values of freedom and democracy. And I think that we now, like sometimes in the same situation, uh, 10 months ago, not only Putin, but the civilized world had the impression that Ukraine will not resist the second army in the world, that after three, four days, Kiev uh, will be occupied. So if we will think rationally and like, and uh, in the same way, we will not fight it, but we will, and we fight, and suddenly it's showed that people are much more powerful than the second army in the world, that people have much more impact than they even can imagine, and massive mobilization of millions of people can change the world history quicker than the UN intervention. So... My hope is uh, in this fact that if I am as a human rights lawyer can't rely upon on law, I can always rely upon on people and ordinary people who do extraordinary things in these dramatic times, express their best features, fight for freedom, be courageous, make very difficult but right choices, support each other, rescue their life, to save others, people who they never met before. And this is something which makes us feel as a human beings. Alexandra Matichuk, thank you for being with us. Thank you. This was an episode of Thinking in Dark Times, a podcast series by Ukraine World. I spoke to Alexandra Matvichuk about her noble lecture, the need to bring back focus on human rights worldwide and the need to ensure justice for the victims of war. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. Thinking in Dark Times aims to make Ukraine and the current war a focal point of our common reflection about the world's present, past and future. We try to see light through and despite the current darkness. You can support us at patreon.com slash Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.